Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Exit Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. With me this week, I am honored to have Dr. Craig Berg. He is uh, on the phone live with us from, I believe, Maryland. Is that correct? It's actually Romney, West Virginia, not too far from Maryland. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, and he is uh, an expert in many things, so I'm going to let him explain most of that. But um, he's an old family friend, but also a very close friend of mine, and he's a very ardent practitioner of transcendental meditation, which I also have been doing um, my whole life and do every day regularly. So uh, first, let's just start with an official welcome. Hi, Craig. How are you? I'm happy to be talking to you and all of your podcast listeners. Awesome. And uh, you actually have your own podcast, so at the very end of this, I'm going to have you plug that. But yeah, you have a lot of good stories to tell, and you've led a very interesting life. Um, And so currently, you are in West Virginia, and can you explain exactly why you are there and what you are doing? Yeah. uh, You know, I have been this year uh, celebrating my 50th year practicing Transcendental Meditation, And I am in a community of like-minded people who all practice Transcendental Meditation. And we spend a significant portion of our day uh, doing TM, which, of course, normally most people do it 20 minutes twice a day. But we're doing it longer because we're really going deeper, exploring the deeper levels of human consciousness. And in so doing, we're improving our own lives, but we're also creating an effect on the environment, a much needed effect of coherence and harmony in the atmosphere. That's incredible. And when you say the environment, you mean the conscious environment or do you mean literally like ecology in the trees? Everything. The people, the trees, the birds, the Volkswagens, everything is being influenced by the vibration, just like uh, light bathes everything in its field. Human consciousness is also a field, and the physicists refer to it as the unified field, which is the field where all laws of nature arise from. And uh, by enlivening that field, that vibration of harmony and peace, uh, which are characteristics of this unified field, they radiate out in the environment. So it, 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 it bathes everything in the environment. And the larger the group of people practicing it together in one place, the more powerful effect. It's called the N-squared effect. Uh, It's a phenomenon in physics where uh, when you have a a coherent operation of uh, particular uh, individuals uh, in in one place, it magnifies the effect. So uh, super radiance is another name for this effect. Awesome. And I expect our really uh, avid physics fans uh, to be Googling these terms or they already know and stuff. But I would like to kind of unpack a little bit of that because it's pretty expert level uh, jargon that you were throwing out there. Yeah, sorry about that. (laughs) No, no, no. It's very good because you are. You're an accomplished and educated man and I want this uh, approach. But um, let's just kind of break down the term coherence the way you're going to be using it. Um, So like could just any group of people sitting there like happy be doing the same thing? Like what exactly is going on when you use this term coherence? Well, uh, coherence is an orderly effect that uh, we all are somewhat familiar with in our daily lives. Uh, Sometimes you'll walk into, let's say, a place of worship, a temple or a synagogue or a a church, a mosque, whatever, 
and you'll feel that there is some coherent vibration. There's some feeling of orderliness, some peacefulness that has been generated and has been generated by the individuals in that place. Uh, likewise, you can walk into, uh, say, a home and immediately you feel that there's some tension in the air. Well, that tension has been created, has been radiated out. Uh, a, a disorderly effect has been created in the environment. So it's something that we all have experienced. But with transcendental meditation, by going beyond thought completely to the unbounded field of inner peace and intelligence and creativity, then that deepest level of the mind and the deepest level of nature is enlivened. So the effect is far more powerful than just a bunch of people sitting around in, in, on a surface level being happy. It, this is a much deeper level of concentrated happiness or bliss. Awesome. And I love the word bliss. And I do have to admit, you know, with to my audience that I do practice this. So I, I deeply understand what you're referring to this feeling of bliss and also this feeling of I go somewhere and I can't define it or explain it, nor could I ever try to. But when I return, I know I've been there. Beautiful. That, that's exactly that's the way to describe it. It's the indescribable. But when we come out of that, then we 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 feebly tried to explain in, in, in words what the inexpressible is like. And so actually like my, my yearning question for this podcast is I want to know actually what happens when you die. I've quickly discovered you're our 25th guest, um, which is an awesome honor to have you as that number for me. Um, but you're our 25th guest and I'm already clear that no one person is going to be able to convince everyone that their opinion slash version of this is going to happen. But I am really curious to hear what you think. So I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, what do you think happens when you die? And then moreover, is that place that we just talked about related? Oh, yeah. Actually, it has everything to do with it because uh, that bliss is from that area of life, which is transcendental. It's beyond any boundary, any boundary. It's beyond time and it's beyond space. So that means it is an unbounded field, which means that it is unbounded beyond time and space, it is eternal. And that which is real is that which is always the same. If I'm your friend one day and the next day I stab you in the back, you say I wasn't a real friend because I didn't last as a friend. That which lasts longest is most true. And that which is eternal must be ultimate in its uh, truthfulness. So the answer is that that is our inner self of every person deep within every person's mind is that area of absolute stability of eternal wakefulness eternal bliss and because that is always there uh even though uh, we the body may drop off and, and the individual ceases to exist his deeper self the unbounded infinite eternal self is always there so in that sense there is an eternality to life. I would use the example of the ocean. You know, you look at the waves on the ocean, you may see, the, oh, giant waves, tidal waves, how, how awesome they are. But then what happens? The wave settles down, and what you're left with is an infinite, unbounded ocean. Now, the wave is made up of the same water that the ocean is, but the wave has a very uh, ephemeral uh, life. It, it comes and it goes. And then when it settles down and becomes the ocean, 
then what happens is, what does it do? It rises up again in new waves. So like that, we individuals, we, uh, when we pass from this world, we merge back to our infinite unbounded self, but then we will rise again in a new life as an individual, small individual wave. But that individual is simply an expression of our infinite eternal true status. And now I'm a... Uh... I'm a little confused as far as with the, the terms you're using. My infinite bound, unbounded self, is that the same as your infinite unbounded self? Or are we two very different infinite unbounded selves playing out this bounded self in this reality? Uh, you're a wave and I'm a wave on the same unbounded ocean. Got it. Okay, so we are from the same source. We are of the same source. We are literally not at the creation point, different. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, at our deepest level. It's like, I don't know, to use one more analogy, uh, is in, in the garden, I love analogies because they can dis describe the deeper truth. Uh, all of the flowers in the garden, you have the daffodils are quite distinctly different than the, the lilacs and they're just distinct from the magnolias, et cetera, et cetera. But they all have one thing in common and is that they're made up of unmanifest or uh, undis undifferentiated sap. The colorless pure, pure sap is what goes to make up each individual flower. So on that level of the sap, all the flowers are the same. They're all colorless sap, essentially. But that's, it's that colorless sap which then somehow miraculously knows how to make the leaf green, to make this petal yellow, to make the other petal lavender, et cetera, et cetera. I think that that is an analogy that uh, really speaks very clearly to the the actual reality of, of existence. Yeah, this that really hit home for me. That was one of the more clear moments I've had of like understanding this concept. Um, and this concept, it, it doesn't, it's not unique to transcendental meditation. It's not unique to anything. It's, it's the most, one of the more basic concepts, but it's, it's revolutionary to hear it the way you're expressing it because this podcast is about death and life. And so I'm kind of curious with this deep understanding of where you have come from and who you are and how you will return to that. I won't say perish because it's different. You're, you're really creating this understanding for me. Uh, how does that make you live your life? Like what, what led to you abandoning the normal American way of life, the normal American culture that we're used to, to move to West Virginia and to pursue this career in, you know, creating a more coherent field for not only yourself, but for others? Yeah, uh, it, it all boils down to my very first year of learning Transcendental Meditation, 1971. And uh, real quick, how, how old were you at the time? I was 21. Yeah, right. So I just this uh, month has celebrated my 72nd birthday. And uh, uh, and I have been practicing TM at least twice a day all these many 50 years. And during that time, uh, the experience of transcending had ha has offered absolutely clear, beautifully pristine visions of that infinite unbounded field and how that relates to the ordinary living that we all do within the boundaries of time and space. 
And uh, it made me realize that uh, by investing time into transcending as, and alternate that with my regular daily activity, uh, it, was this, it was doing the best for me and for the world uh, because it is speeding my growth dramatically to be able to perpetually live with that infinite unbounded awareness while I'm living in the same boundaries that we all are. You know, I'm a big Baltimore Orioles fan. I play tennis. I love movies, et cetera, et cetera. But I still take the time to develop that unchanging field of life. Yeah, and actually, this is something I've always wanted to ask you. Um, you're you're so interesting to me because you're you're just I can't say you're the most open-minded person I know, but in childhood you certainly were, and you're very loving and understanding. But you're also like fun and interesting, and you like sports, and you and and I know that that's a cliche, and I know I'm not supposed to say this to someone, but it's true. Like a lot of us think that like a new age person, a person who's into Eastern thought and Eastern concepts, especially from the seventies is like, you know, got this like virtuous existence and they can't, uh, you know, watch a regular movie and stuff like that. So can you explain how you're able to like keep all of that? Yeah. Uh, because by contacting that universal field, it, it actually increases one's individuality. I mean, think of again, the flower analogy, uh, if a flower doesn't have good, connection with the sap, if it's kind of dried up, then it, it doesn't stand out as an individual very much. They all look kind of like droopy flowers. But when they become lively in that pure field of sap, then their individuality becomes more bold, more striking. And as far as uh, harmony in society, uh, by strengthening the differences is how we get a beautiful harmony. You know, harmonies are based on uh, very strong differences, but it's a harmonious uh, connection or uh, relationship between these uh, different values that goes to make up a beautiful harmony. We don't want everything, you know, one tone. That would be utterly boring. We want to strengthen differences and we do that by going to the field of non-differentiation. That's incredible. That's a very, very profound answer. I um, do have to ask you, because it begs the question, does this help you with tolerance and compassion for others who are certainly not putting their best flower forward, so to speak? Yeah, and it, it, this, <laughs> because there's you know, so much contention uh, in the air these days, uh, it has personally in my own life uh, given me uh, more understanding and therefore more tolerance of uh, people that I, I love to begin with. But when I find that they have very, very different uh, views of, of whether it be politics or, or you, any, any field. Uh, yeah, I, I, but compassion, here's an important point. Uh, I, compassion comes from perceiving the deeper truths of a situation. It's not some attitude that, oh, I'm going to be a compassionate person because my religion tells me that's a good thing, or you know, my code of ethic that I've adopted, it tells me to, that I should have that attitude. No, no, no. It's, it comes spontaneously when your body is more rested and your mind is more expanded and clear, then whatever situation you're in, you go, ah, 
I get it. I understand where they're coming from. You know, on the deepest level, I feel a communion with this person. On the surface, <laughs> there's quite a difference. But because we have that, uh, that perception, uh, we understand the situation, then uh, this loving and compassionate behavior, it comes automatically. It's not a mood. We're not a bunch of mood makers. We shouldn't be. I mean, <laughs> there's something very false about, you know, trying to adopt a mood. But when we actually perceive the situation in its clarity, uh, then automatically we become uh, compassionate and understanding. Got it. And so is there, um, as I said, I don't know any other way to ask this, according to you and according to what you believe in and according to just all of your knowledge and expertise, is there a meaning to life then? Like, is there a purpose to this? Is there a wrong and a right, a good way to go? Uh, you know... <laughs> The purpose, if, if you want it in, in, in a nutshell, I think the purpose of life is the expansion of happiness. Uh, we're all here to enjoy. And so any behavior that uh, improves the condition of happiness, both for oneself and for those in our environment, uh, then that would be good behavior. <laughs> that, that would be life supportive behavior that uh, we would consider ideal, and anything other than that is is missing the mark. So then, in this world of, because again, this podcast is about figuring out morality and how that extends, in my opinion, from our deeper beliefs. So, with your deepest beliefs extended to morality, how how do you apply this to? Because I know that you're. Um, I don't know if you specifically do, but I know transcendental meditation is very active with like rehabilitating criminals and things like that. So like, can you, can you kind of get into the essence of like criminality and war? Like, like what would it be morally appropriate to fight a war against a culture that's infringing on the actual genuine pursuit of happiness? Is that justified or is that going too far? Uh, you know, as far as uh, war and rehabilitation is concerned, the most important item is to neutralize the stress which gives rise to that behavior in the first place. Wow. Please, please tell us more. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was just this morning uh, reading uh, a statement by the former chief minister, uh, chief justice of the Supreme Court of India, Justice Krishna Iyer, a man who I happen to have lunch with uh, back in, I think it was 2000 in Bangalore, India, a highly eloquent man who uh, in his job as chief justice of the Supreme Court, of, of course, uh, he, he had to rule on so many criminal cases. And he makes the point that the inner man is already the inner man. The, the essence of the man is that field of bliss. Every person, every single individual has deep within that most settled state where the mind is completely wide awake and free. And it's only stress that covers it up. So uh, criminal behavior is when the mind is too narrowed. Everybody wants to fulfill their desires, but if the mind is too narrowed with stress, then one can't see the actual uh, life supportive proper way of going about fulfilling those desires. So he takes a shortcut and that shortcut is a crime. So 
that that every individual is inside deep down is divine we could say is is completely pure it's just the stress and the likewise when that stress builds up in an entire society then war and terrorism is going to be the result now i support i work with uh, a supporter of the global union of scientists for peace and i would uh, urge all of your listeners who are already thinking deeply on on these deep subjects of life and death and morality to visit the uh, website uh, gusp dot uh, org uh, global union of scientists for peace uh because uh this group of eminent scientists um have uh the uh, scientific verification of how these groups of transcendental meditators around the world uh are actually creating this effect that is neutralizing the very cause of crime terrorism and war so uh the answer to your question i think we got it we got to really uh focus on the very very cause of the problem and uh you're always going to find differences i mean you know look at the middle east you you got so many logics and it you know it's always made me uh chuckle a little bit how uh you go to the united nations and you hear all these beautiful speakers very intelligent speakers and yet they always end up with a logic that supports their country <laughs> so you're always going to find logic you know that, but but what we need to do is we need to get rid of the stress which uh sees others as an enemy and uh also by eliminating the stress we make people more creative and when people are more creative then they're more productive and they uh will not have the same hardships of of poverty that often drive them uh to uh, war and terrorism i know that it's an unfair question to ask you this but i am going to ask it anyway because it it's just is top of mind after everything you said okay i may give you an unfair answer go ahead <laughs> What is um, what is the what went wrong? Why did humans evolve to a state where they need to relearn how to meditate and relearn how to get rid of stress? Like what? How in the history of all of this does this make any sense? Is this random? Are humans random? It's it's a it's a very great uh, deep question. Uh, you've probably played that game at a party where. Uh, one person whispers the secret to the next person and that person then whispers it to the next person and so on and so forth and so forth and when you get to the end what's the st wh what happened to that original message yeah it's hilariously distorted hilariously distorted so that is what basically what's happened it's the culprit in one word is time it's the passage of time over time the knowledge is shattered on the hard rocks of ignorance so uh but the good news is that we have now begun a time of revival of knowledge so now we see that there's a much greater interest blooming in the world of developing the inner person and uh so this is a time of a rising enlightenment for the world uh, this is a great time and uh we are really on the threshold of of a dream come true well from your lips to my ears and then hopefully god's i am so with you and i've been 
begging people to consider that because I think it's very hard with so much tumultuous, so many tumultuous events. And I'm not talking about just in the last 10 years. I really am referring to like the rise of massive weapons of destruction in World War One, all the way through the present. It just seems like we're ramping up to certain death, but in in my view and from what you expressed, I actually feel the opposite. I think we've been ramping towards the awareness of how quickly we could kill ourselves and everything we have, but I, I do believe in, in us and our ability. So with that said, I'd like to give you the final thoughts of our podcast. Um, in addition to whatever you decide to tell us, please um, let people know maybe how to discover uh, meditation best for them. And I, you can promote transcendental meditation over others. That's fine with me. But I kind of am curious uh, what you would suggest as next steps for people who are, are want to perceive this enlightenment. Yeah, okay. Um, I would suggest uh, that people familiarize themselves with the three fundamentally different types of meditation because you hear the word meditation all over the place. But uh, science has now uh, delineated three uh, basic types of meditation. Transcendental meditation is one type called automatic self-transcending. Then you have uh, open monitoring and uh, you have uh, concentration techniques. These are the three main techniques. And uh, if people were to go to simply the website tm.org, uh, you can read up about these. You'll see that, for example, the the brainwave patterns are actually quite distinctly different in these three different types. And not surprisingly, because they, the three types are practiced very differently, the results are, are often quite different. And one should uh, familiarize themselves with these differences and then you make a decision as to uh, which forms you would like to practice. But that level of deep inner stillness, of silence, of bliss, of creativity, it's there waiting for every person to experience. And it's just a question of of getting the technique to do it most effectively. So tm.org, and as I mentioned, uh, for those who are more interested in, uh, also interested in this a field effect uh, of creating peace in a society and in the world at large, the Global Union of Scientists for Peace.org. That's GUSP.org. And then if anybody wants to hear some of my stories, <laughs> uh, I've recorded 54 stories from my life. Uh, all of these stories, by the way, are stories that I've told to people and someone somewhere along the line has said, hey, that's a great story. So the title of my collection is that's a great story and uh you can find it uh if you just put in quotations that's a great story and then put my name craig berg uh it'll come up otherwise you can go to the my blog is cb108.blogspot.com well dr craig berg you have been an amazing guest and it was just as profound as i expected so you lived up to my um really really unfair expectations uh so congratulations and thank you so much for helping us put another nail in the coffin uh my name is mike oppenheim and once again you've been listening to coffin talk exit interviews with the living and we will see you soon when i hear this song and i'm walking alone walking alone when i walk in